One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, Medvedev and Rublev lead Russia to ATP Cup triumph. Barty overcomes Muguruza to win the Yarra Valley Classic. And Dan Evans captures his first ever ATP Tour title against Felix Auger-Aliassime. Kim, the eve of the Australian Open is here. It's a very exciting moment, particularly, I think, for British fans waking up this morning. Dan Evans winning, Jamie Murray winning as well. All of it kind of combined together. I'm just kind of really excited uh, that we've got our first Grand Slam of the year. It is here and we've already had some British success. Yeah, and um, I was also quite excited by the trophies that we saw as well. Dan Evans <laughs> got a boomerang for his first ever title. Um, forget, you know, the massive cups that you get, like the Barcelona Open, um, which is huge. He got a, he got a lovely boomerang. But um, yeah, really, really good to uh, to wake up to that. Not going to lie, Joel, I'm still in my dressing gown because we're recording this <laughs> in the morning. I've got a nice cup of tea. And I'm still in my uh, my gown, which is probably going to be a running theme for the next few weeks. Uh, tea, toast and dressing gowns for uh, a cold winter morning in the UK while we watch some tennis. So, yeah, quite looking forward to that. It is like sort of snowing, like very lightly in London at the moment. I am also, I'm not in my dressing gown. I'm in my long johns. Um, <laughs> long johns? I know, that's very old school, isn't it? To me, that just makes me think of like older, older men. Um, but perhaps, <laughs> perhaps they are for the young as well. I, I don't know my base layers um, i'll make it sound a bit bit cooler but um, oh, right. yeah complete opposite i think to the weather all going down under at the moment which um it looks really it looks really really nice and i'm really really jealous not to kind of be there um but um yeah we've got a lot of tennis to talk about we're also going to be revealing our collector set predictions i know people have been in touch with their predictions we're going to also be unveiling our predictions today um later on in the show but let's start let's start with all the men's tennis we're going to start with the atp cup uh we have our uh we well we have our winners we have russia team russia um are the winners uh they came through against italy in the final two nil um and it really was i mean the tale of the atp cup was pretty much it, it was the rublev and medvedev show they were absolutely uh, fantastic in their singles matches i think they only dropped two sets between them um in the singles uh, in the whole event uh, it just shows you how good their form is and it was the same situation in the final i mean rublev in particular kind of blew Fognini away completely um you know serious serious aggression from him controlled aggression it was um you know he had Fognini all around the court not really having much of an answer Medvedev as well uh against Berrettini um and yeah it, it was just I guess you know in a team competition if you've got two singles players who are who are in the you know the form of their life at the moment going through a, a real purple patch it doesn't really matter what your doubles team is because I think team Russia have just proved that I know. And looking back now, I think obviously they were going to win uh, with Medvedev and Rublev, you know, picking up where they left off last year and not looking like they were at all kind of rusty at the start of the season. Mm. And I mean, I can't believe I had put Argentina to get through their group. I mean, what was I thinking, Joel? I really don't know what I was I was on then. But yeah, they were really fantastic. And especially, you know, um, Medvedev, like he just kind of strolled past Berrettini really I mean that was a slightly tougher match than the Rublev uh, Fognini match but Berrettini had been in pretty decent form this week you know he'd beaten team you know Monfils RBA so he was you know in good form but it just wasn't obviously enough when it comes up against someone of Medvedev's caliber and yeah I mean great victory for them they didn't obviously even need to play the doubles um, but 
you know, Don scoring, Karatsev didn't didn't get a, a run out in the final. But yeah, they just, I mean, what you don't need your doubles team, do you, when you've got Medvedev and Rublev, really? And also, Medvedev, he smiled when he won. I know a lot of people were picking up on the fact that uh, he, you know, he's obviously, I think he's like grown um, a bit of notoriety about him for like not smiling, not showing any emotion um, on a tennis court. But I guess in a, a team country, when you're playing for Mother Russia, um, you're, uh, yeah, I don't know, something comes out in you because he was really kind of, um, well, he showed a bit of emotion at the end of the, the match. And I think it showed, it showed everyone, you know, how much it meant to him, uh, you know, to win for his, uh, you know, to win for his country. So, um, I wonder if we'll see that continue when it gets back into kind of the, the singles competition. Um, I mean, just kind of talking on Medvedev, actually. I mean, we, you know, we, 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 we know we've spoken about Rafa's, uh, you know, potentially fitness concerns. I mean, with this kind of coupled with the form of, of Medvedev in at the moment, would, would you say he's second favorite or do you, or would you still say Nadal is, is second favorite, Kim? I mean, where, 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 where do you think this puts Medvedev in terms of, you know, favorite for, for the Australian Open? Oh, I see. Yeah. Does Medvedev, go above Rafa is it, is it sort of Novak way ahead like mm. a country mile ahead of everyone and then kind of team and Medvedev and Rafa all together or you know is it's based on four Medvedev would would have to be placed above yeah team and Rafa but I mean I still you know team and Rafa have form at the AO you know they've reached finals they've reached semis Medvedev hasn't so You've also got to counter it, perhaps, with with that. We know slams can be different. So we shall wait and see. But interestingly, Rublev and Medvedev could meet, I think, in the quarterfinal. Would it be quarterfinal at the AO or fourth round? Quarterfinal, I think, which I think was a repeat. They they met last year in the quarterfinal or the fourth round, um, I think. So they do, they tend, they tend to play quite a bit, actually. Um, and I think Medvedev would come through that one. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still. I mean, I have a Medvedev in the final. I think, don't I, in my predictions? So we'll we'll see. <laughs> but my predictions have been terrible of of late, <laughs> have to say. Um, but yeah, the ATP Cup was. Um, I mean, for me as a Rafa fan, I was very disappointed. Obviously, that he didn't come out and play. But I understand that if he's got a bit of a sore back, you want to save yourself for the AO. So I'm hoping that it's not too bad. But obviously, the fact that he didn't even kind of step on, maybe just to play a bit of doubles isn't a great indication i thought we might want to kind of get a, a bit of a run out i mean it was pretty impressive to be honest that spain got to the semi-finals yeah. without um you know nadal stepping on court um but yeah i mean germany as well also were kind of pretty handy i actually think that semi-final between germany and russia was effectively the final that was the probably yeah. the strongest test that, that russia had the medvedev's verev match uh, again I, medvedev won that 7-5 um in the third set that was really kind of the, the biggest test that he had but um you know coming coming through it so you know all those players i think definitely in good form zverev as well for germany uh Strif as well actually i think looked quite decent so um i think all the kind of the singles kind of competitors probably there were some definitely some big winners you'd only really say maybe Nadal is, is the biggest loser in terms of the fact that he wasn't able to kind of step out on the court he might not have necessarily needed that practice but you know I guess he's all he's had at the moment is practice against Yannick Sinner and um and that's that's pretty much about it isn't it and an exhibition against team but, oh, of uh, course yeah, yeah yeah and actually just a word on Struff I didn't recognize him at first because he didn't have his his beard i don't know how long he hasn't had that sort of facial hair for but i was he just looked completely different i was like who is this um but yeah actually a note on sinner we'll get on to him later but i think perhaps uh he's done really well out of that you know practice with with rafa uh, in the run-up but um let's move on to the murray river open which was obviously also taking place this past week at melbourne park and yeah like we mentioned earlier dan evans has won his first atp tour title it's been a long time coming he's had chances he's been in finals but yeah he did it in some style i think today six two six three over felix oj aliasim um i watched some of the highlights of that this morning and he just seemed really in really good shape, uh, moving really well. And I mean, I know FAA isn't the man you, you know, isn't a man for the final. He's lost, I think, seven finals all in straight sets now. But I'm just so glad Evans has come through and uh, finally got that monkey off his back. 
Yeah, it was uh, fantastic considering, you know, all the ups and downs, of course, Dan Evans has had through his career. It really seems like he's playing the best tennis of his life at the moment. And, uh, you know, he's around, I think, you know, number, I think he's 33 in the world. And with the form that he's in, I mean, there's going to be question marks on in terms of can he can he go better than that? Can he push potentially kind of top 20? I think the question for him now and I think he knows it as well, is he needs to start replicating this form that he's shown, I think, consistently more often than not at the 250 level, 500 level, and bring that into kind of the Grand Slams. He didn't have a great, um, he didn't have a great Grand Slam record last season. I know it was a bit funny because of, of coronavirus and, and COVID, but I think he now needs to kind of show that, yes, I can do it on the tour, now I, now I need to kind of show it at, at the Grand Slams. And, you know, this week, I mean, as a just kind of from a British point of view, it was great. I mean, it was just waking up every morning and going on the, going on the app and then seeing Dan Evans win in straight sets. Um, it was a really emphatic, I mean, it was emphatic final, but it was generally an emphatic week for Evo because he didn't drop a set. It was all pretty comprehensive. And yeah, Ogier Aliassim, talented player, future is ahead of him, but he just kind of, he just kind of wiped him off the court. Two and three, very uncomplicated. And he will be going into that uh, match in the first round against Cam Norrie, uh, full of confidence and really kind of eyeing up, um, you know, potentially an opening there, you know, with uh, an unfit, um, well, a fitness doubt sort of Nadal in his section. Do you think Evans could beat Rafa? I mean, like, not if Rafa's fully fit, but I suppose... Anyway, this may never happen. They they may not reach the third round, but I just, oh, that would be in, uh, certainly something. Yeah, I mean, FAA, just a note on him. I just feel like in the final, he becomes way too passive. I, I don't know what he needs to do. I guess it's more of a mental thing. Mm. But I, I really hope he can he can get the monkey off, off his back as well. Uh, you know, this season, I'm I'm really hoping because he d- he deserves to win a title. But I did see, Joel, that I think you'd, you'd made a note that the only way FAA will win a final is if Julian Beneteau comes back. <laughs> he needs to come out of retirement for that final to happen because, yeah, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really know what's happening at the moment once, once Ogier Aliassim gets to the final. He looks like good in all, all the build up. Um, you know, had some decent wins against kind of, you know, Yuri, Vesely. Yuri Vesely. I know he retired, but yeah, it's just like a completely different. Uh, it's just a, a completely different uh, entity once it gets to the final and it gives him that mental block and yeah he he's gonna have to well he needs to figure that out because on on one side you can look at it like yes he's 20 years old and has reached seven finals on the ATP tour and you think wow that is that is really impressive that's a fantastic achievement but then you can kind of look at it on the flip side and say he has reached seven finals and he's lost seven finals all in straight sets and you think you know when is that when is that going to change and I think we've gone through kind of similar conversations maybe not at this length but similar conversations I think with Dominic Team and Andy Murray in terms of grand slams in terms of you know getting to the final getting that experience and then uh, you know breaking through after you know three or four finals or, or or however many but it really feels like Ogier Aliassim is owning that <laughs> owning that space at the 250 level he just I just makes me think of the rhyme first the worst second the best maybe he's uh <laughs> he's got that in his head I don't know but uh yeah it's it's interesting isn't it because if you compare to what we saw at the Great Ocean Road Open we had Yannick Sinner winning his second title on the trot and I think that makes two titles from two finals for Yannick Sinner so completely the opposite you know he's he's only 19 years of age so he's even younger than FAA and he kind of is making the most of any finals that he's getting to and and winning them and really making history again breaking records you know he's the youngest player to win two ATP tour titles since Djokovic um, at that age uh, who did it in 2006 and he's also the youngest player to win back-to-back titles since Rafa um, age 19 in 2005 so you know he is someone that is is converting at those moments unlike FAA. And, and I will say I think that this season or certainly at the start of the season I feel like we're you know whatever noise we've heard about Ogier Aliassim over the last few seasons, it feels like that noise 
is being transferred now to, to Yannick Sinner. Um, I, we obviously know how talented Ojea Aliasim is, um, you know, as a 20 year old, but it feels like now that Yannick Sinner has well and truly come onto the scene last season and now he's got kind of all the momentum at the moment and he's potentially becoming that number one, uh, player, uh, you know, below the Sasha Zverevs and the Stefanos Sissipasses, um, as in that sort of, uh, next next gen uh bracket so um that will be very interesting i mean just i don't want to kind of keep beating around the bush in terms of uh, ojali scene but i do think kind of again kind of watching that final he does need to have a plan b and i don't think he has that at the moment i feel like what he thinks his plan b is 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 to kind of hit harder and uh, you know when that happened i think against evans it just led to you know, more unforced errors, him going long more, etc. And I wonder whether he needs to have a more varied game plan, particularly when he comes up against more wily and experienced uh, players on the court like Evans, when he is going to need to change it up. And I think that for me is where he needs to, um, you know, where he needs to improve. And also, as you said, in the, the mental approach as well, um, there's just, there's just, there's just got to be something there about you know, once he gets to a final. So you need to almost kind of instill that sort of round one, round two mentality in a final and not let the situation get the better of him. But, um, I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. It probably will happen this season. But, um, yeah, it's just the monkey is still on his back. When does it when does it coming off? Who knows? Yeah, room for improvement, room for improvement. Um but let's just talk a bit about yeah, the Yannick Sinner match. He came through against his compatriot, Stefano Travaglia, seven six six four. That was a bit of a, a closer match. Um I think both of them they did look quite tired. Uh, both played quite a lot of tennis this week. I know Sinner's semi final was I think just over three hours against Karen Hatchinov. He had to save uh, a couple of match points in that one so yeah not uh, not going into his match tomorrow against Denis Shapovalov uh very fresh I should say but I think he'll be pleased to get yeah another title uh obviously making it two in a row with the Sofia Open at the end of last season that match between Sinner and Kachinov for me that was probably the match of the tournament that was a real 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 test a real real battle you know I asked questions of Kachinov uh in our catch-up uh, a few episodes ago about how he was going to come out and you know he showed I think you know the best of him yes Sinner got the best of him but um, it was a really kind of fantastic match and I think what was so impressive of that match from Sinner's point of view is that yes we talk about his uh, ability on a tennis court but you know unlike someone like Ojea Alisim I think it showed his sort of mental toughness as well to kind of win from match point down um, was really kind of impressive. And the fact that he was able to kind of carry that through and win in the final as well, um, it just, I think, speaks volumes and character about him as a 19-year-old, which is, you know, seriously, seriously impressive. Um, So, yeah. The the other thing as well, Kim, that final, it was an all-Italian final. Italy were in the ATP Cup final as well. I mean... It's great. It must be great to be an Italian tennis fan at the moment. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, yeah, the Italians in the ATP Cup final and, and now Sinner and Travaglia. I think that was the first all-Italian tour final since 1988. Uh, <laughs> great start that. Massimiliano Narducci against Claudio Panatta in Florence. So, yeah, that's that's quite surprising, actually, because obviously there's, there's a number of Italians on the tour and you, you would have thought that maybe Fognini would have come up against someone perhaps uh also italian in a final at some point but uh yeah i mean i i have said this before what for me stands out with sinner is his composure on a court his mentality i think uh i can totally see why he was training with rafa i think they're they'd be perfect to practice with each other i think i see a lot of rafa in sinner in terms of his composure and his attitude on the court which is probably why i'm quite a big fan so yeah i think it's exciting but I, i'm not expecting too much from him at the ao i think i think it might be biting off a bit too much to go straight into a potentially a, a, i don't know a big five set match against shapovalov but we will see and let's just touch on the doubles joel because we had at the great ocean road open jamie murray winning uh, a title he's back with Bruno Suarez and they've kind of kicked off in the best way possible by winning the event they beat the top seeds Cabal and Farah in the final 6-3-7-6 so they obviously won the Australian Open together in 2016 so they'll be hoping 
that they will be able to replicate that this year. And they had some good wins over the course of the week. So it's, yeah, really good that Jamie's kind of back with Suarez and back on, on winning form. But also... Suarez's old partner from last season, Matej Pavic, uh, he's now with Nikola Mektic and they won in the Murray River Open and they are on an 8-0 winning streak because they won the event in Antalya earlier in the year. So they're, they're doing very nicely indeed. So it'll be hard to look beyond them as well, I think, for the for the AO next week. But uh, It's all bubbling up nicely, isn't it, in the, yes. the doubles? And uh, I know you're a big big fan of the doubles. Obviously, I'm a big fan of, of Jamie Murray as well. And it was a you know it was an eyebrow raising moment when he did go back to his old partner Bruno Suarez for this season. But it seems it is paying instant dividends. And the fact that the fact that they have that sort of prior relationship, it shows that they're able to kind of hit the hit the ground running. And this is just an example of that, isn't it? Absolutely. They've obviously got their, that magic rekindled again. <laughs> and I guess they're both, I think, you know, changing partnerships, if it wasn't really working with your old partner and you both wanted to change, you know, it must be really kind of invigorating, like mm. new year, new season, new partnership. But you already have that like knowledge of each other's game and personality. So they must be able to kind of rekindle that. And yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But obviously we've got, we've still got Joe Salisbury up there as well um, yep, with Rajiv Brown. So mm-hmm. lots of opportunities in the doubles. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break now, uh, but do join us in the second half. We'll be looking at all of the WTA events from the past week and also Andy Murray's return in the Biella Challenger. So don't go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to a little quiz section, I think, Joel, before we get into the WTA events. There's no mysterious player this week. Um, you've got another little quiz, I think, up your sleeve for me. So we enjoyed doing that so much. <laughs> and also, uh, we've got two do- two quiz doses, actually. We've got another little mastermind segment. but We're going to put that as an addendum at the end of the pod. So uh, this week on, on Mastermind, the British quiz show, uh, there was a contestant doing the Wimbledon Men's Singles Championships as a special subject. So we're going to be doing that for you all at the end if you're interested. But for now, Joel, I'll pass over to you. I think you've got a, a little quiz for me. I've got a little quiz for you and our, and our listeners. I know, I know you're a big Seb Corder and Seb Corder's cat fan, actually. Um, so uh, I've got a bit of a question for you on him. So he hit the top 100 for the first time this week, uh, which meant that he and his dad, Petter, became the sixth father-son duo to feature in the top 100 of the ATP rankings since they began in 1973. So my question to you and our listeners is, can you name any of the other five uh, father-son duos to have reached, to have both reached the top 100 uh, in the ATP rankings since 1973. Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, five of them. That's quite a lot, actually. I know. I, I didn't. I yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't aware of it. But um, yeah, I, I, I saw it, and some of them actually, I was a bit surprised by. I was like, oh, I didn't know their father played uh, tennis <laughs> to a high to a high standard. Um, I I know also that Seb Gorda's sister, uh, who's a golfer. Well, he's got two. Well, two of his sisters are pro golfers. Didn't one of them win some big event? Or I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't They're really just follow golf. Really good at sport in general. I know it's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> uh, okay, so I was going to say the Rudes, Casper Rude, and Casper's dad. I don't know his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, that that is completely correct. Yeah, Casper Rude and Christian Rude. Oh, that was uh, it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are the most. Uh, I'd say the most recent. Um, but there is another sort of recent one as well, but completely more niche. I'm actually going to say I think I would be impressed if you get any of the the others yeah. kind of correct because they oh. are quite specific. Can I say uh, grandfather and? grandson pair because i know freddie nilsson you know of wimbledon doubles fame oh, 2012. Yep. his grandfather was in the wimbledon singles final in like the 50s i think okay but I, that's not obviously father and son but just, <laughs> just a shout out there oh father and son oh i don't i don't know joel I don't, listeners are you doing any better than me <laughs> i can't think of anyone mm. uh well okay i'll yeah I'll, you're gonna have I'll, to tell me joel Okay. Okay. Well, you've got uh, the 
Roger Vasselan, father and son duo, Edouard and Christoph. I didn't know his dad played tennis. I That's know, exciting. I know, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Um, you've also got, uh, going back a little bit, uh, you've got Taylor Dent and Phil Dent. Um, I think Taylor, Taylor Dent I grew up with. I remember watching him play um, American player. And then you've got Joachim Johansson and Leif Johansson. Oh. Uh, from Sweden. And finally, you've got Sandon Stoller and Fred Stoller, who I'm, uh, I, I, I don't know, but those are the, those are the six father son duos. You've got Corda, Rude, Roger Vasselan, Dent, Johansson, and Stoller. I'm not going to like it. When I saw Johansson, I actually thought it was Thomas Johansson. And mm. <laughs> I don't know if he was the father or if, or if he was the son. Is is Tom are Thomas and Joachim related? I think Johansson is just a really popular name in Sweden. Swedish but, um, name, son John. It's Johnson, isn't it? I suppose. Uh, I, I've heard of Fred Stoller as well, but not Sandon. But Fred was higher ranked back in the day. So, okay, well, very good. I, I, I've definitely learned something new there. Um, right, we don't have a passing shot mailbag this week, so we're going to go straight into the tennis uh, from the last week. We're going to look at the WTA events and we're going to look at uh, the Yarra Valley Classic, which saw Ash Barty winning her, I think it's her ninth career title now, 7-6, 6-4 against Garbina Muguruza. Um, I have to say, Joel, the best thing about this was her one-backed trophy which uh, was very exciting, possibly the best tennis trophy I've seen for a long time. Uh, which It was actually created by an, by an Indigenous artist and formerly, I think, held by the Indigenous world number one tennis player. So obviously a very significant trophy as well. But um, yeah, she looks quite chuffed to get that, I think. And uh, I mean, she deserved it because she played some fantastic tennis, uh, moved really well, felt really good on the court. And, you know, Muguruza's been kind of dominating her opponents this week, barely losing many games. So for Barty to come out and neutralise Muguruza's form, I thought was very impressive today. And she's pretty much started where she left off at the end of last year. Just a quick word on, on Garbina Muguruza. These are her set score lines going into the final. 6-2, 6-love, 6-1, 6-2-6-2-6-2-6-1-6-love. I mean, she was going into that final uh, with just complete domination, uh, leaving absolute uh, trail in her path. Um, and yeah, she came up against Ash Barty and Ash Barty... You know, I was watching the highlights and it, it felt like Ash Barty played with a lot more variety. And obviously we know Muguruza is a bit of a, you know, a power hitter from the baseline. And she, I think she come, came a bit unstuck, uh, against kind of Barty's variety. Um, particularly, I think the, um, the backhand slice that, uh, Muguruza didn't really have, um, m- much answers for. And it gave, I think, Barty the, the advantage. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, we obviously live in a, you know, in, in the WTA, there's a lot of players who dominate, you know, who like to dominate from the back of the court in terms of that that power game, like Muguruza, Serena Williams, Azarenka, Kvitova, etc. But I think Ash Barty kind of shows that if you have that variety, you can you can win slams with that approach. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it almost kind of can neutralize that power game executed in the right way. Yeah, and she hit double the number of winners that Muguruza did today um put down 11 aces I mean it was a very yeah a very uh comprehensive performance I know she uh, Muguruza served for the first set obviously didn't you know didn't manage to do so but I just feel Barty's like demeanor and attitude on court she's just so like I just I just love it I mean I just think she's got such a good perspective on everything and I think that really just shines through and Actually, she's starting this season very similar to the last season because she picked up that Adelaide title kind of pre-AO. So she's picked up a title at, at home going into the slam. Obviously, she she didn't have to play her semi-final because Serena withdrew from that. So that probably helped as well. She's probably still feeling fairly fresh, I would hope. She hasn't, you know, she's had a few, well, she's had a few three-setters. But um, obviously, because of the uh, that pause in play on Thursday, they, they made the third sets of all of the matches I think from the quarterfinals onwards, they made the last set just a match tiebreak, which obviously helped, I think, um, kind of save save their bodies a bit. But however, despite that, we still had quite a lot of walkovers, didn't we? From, you know, across all of the tournaments, you know, Serena withdrawing, Osaka, which we'll get onto in a minute, she withdrew from the um, 
the G- the Gippsland Trophy, and then I think Azarenka from the Grampians, all withdrawing in these tune-up tournaments, which. You know, I get that players play them to get a few matches under their belt. Then maybe the top players aren't going in necessarily to win the event. You know, they wouldn't be, you know, distraught at not winning because they just want to get enough kind of match practice. But it's a shame, isn't it, when you get a lot of withdrawals and perhaps, you know, finals or semis that just aren't played or just sort of really lacklustre as a result. Um, and I don't know. Is there, I suppose it's not really, this has always been the case, I suppose, but. It's just a shame, is it? I don't know if there's anything a way round that. It's a it's a tricky one because you know these players you know will be looking at getting into the you know the deep end of the Australian Open and want to be as fit and firing as possible, and therefore ideally don't want to be playing tennis matches on the Sunday before a Grand Slam starts on a Monday. And you know, with that in mind, you know, it feels like some of these players have, uh, you know either kind of basically conceded and been like, right, I've had my, I've had my playing time. I feel great. And, and that's enough for me. But I think, you know, if I was, I'd be interested to get the perspective of kind of the tournament organizers of these events, because, you know, what, what are they kind of thinking in terms of the, you know, the integrity of their event and the fact that, you know, they're almost kind of arguably almost kind of treating it as a, you know, as a tune up, as a, almost as like an, arguably even like it as an exhibition, you know, I get my three matches and, and, and that's it. Um, it feels like there's a bit of a, you know, a debate here, particularly, I think, at the moment when, you know, the schedule was so, you know, um, so fluid um, and we're having, you know, all the top players play in the immediate week before Grand Slams. I think we're getting these situations more often. You know, we, you just touched on Osaka. Osaka effectively did kind of the same thing in the build up to um, the US Open and, um, I, I, I do wonder whether there's gonna, I don't know what you can do to combat it, but it, it just does for me. I don't know. If, I don't know if for our listeners, but for me, it feels like it, it affects the, you know, the integrity of the, the WTA tour when, you know, you're getting your top players just kind of pull out kind of under the, you know, under the vague pretense of maybe an injury, um, to make sure that they're kind of ready for, you know, the bigger, the bigger the bigger prize further down the road yeah i mean i was thinking perhaps for a pre-warm-up event sorry pre-slam event you could have it so the final finished on like thursday and then that would give them a long weekend but obviously that would affect the whole calendar and in terms of this event you know it's all different anyway because of covid and quarantine uh, so it was probably very difficult to do that but maybe long term they could think about that um i know sort of the pre Wimbledon events like Eastbourne, you know, that finishes on the Saturday at least and not the Sunday. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a bit annoying, but I guess we've come to expect it. But yeah, great win for Barty in the Yarra Valley Classic. It's just saving all the big matches, all the meetups for the, yeah. the, the yeah. that's always protecting it. Cause yeah, we could have, I mean, we could have got Ash Barty, Serena Williams. Um, mm. you know, it, it, I think that was, that's what's so annoying. I think from a kind of a fan point of view, it kind of robs us of these kind of big matchups and, you know, seeing, you know, who is the better player going into the slam rather than just being like, Oh, it could be Barty or it could be Serena. I'd love to have a bit more of a, you know, know who, who was better, who's the more informed so that if they do meet further down the road in, in the Australian Open, there's a bit more of a story there in terms of, oh, can, um, get a, can Barty get a comeback or is Serena going to continue it? I, I don't know. It's just, it just feels like as a fan, we're kind of being robbed of, of the best matches in, in the build up. And looking at the Gibson Trophy, obviously just talking about Osaka, she withdrew from her semi against Mertens. Uh, we also saw a withdrawal in the quarterfinal, uh, Mukova withdrawing from the clash with Kanepi. So it all ended up with a Kanepi-Mertens final, which Mertens came through in straight set 6-4, 6-1. So uh, perhaps not an expected winner, but also not not a surprising winner. You know, Elise Mertens, she's got, I think, six, this is her sixth WTA title now. Previously, she's done quite well at the Hobart event before the Aussie Open. She's won that one twice and, and has actually reached the semis at the AO, which I think a lot of us forget. Um, so on her day, she's obviously, you know, she is a very consistent and solid player. Perhaps not the most, uh, exciting or dramatic to watch. I think she gets a bit overlooked, but yeah, today she was, um, very on it. She kind of out hit Kanepi, didn't, um, 
you know, didn't miss a break point opportunity. She she got all she converted all four of her chances on Canepi's serve and uh yeah, came through to win that one. So is she a bit of a dark horse maybe for next week? Perhaps not for the title, but to get through to something like the semi finals. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously loves playing on a court in Melbourne. Uh, as you said, she, I think, you know, announced herself on the, you know, the tour with her um, semi-final at the Australian Open a few years ago. Um, and I think this is just, just showing that she just loves playing um, on, on a hard court in Australia. The same, I think, with Kaya Kanepi, who, you know, we spoke about um, at the start of the week ending Sabalenka's streak seemingly I mean from my personal seemingly from nowhere I know other fans I have spoken to think Kanepi is a bit of a, a player who likes the big occasion and can always have a bit of an upset in her but it was great again to see her kind of pull through and yes get that victory against Sabalenka but was able to kind of take that form all the way through to the final um, you know defeating Kasatkina um, and you know, as you said Mukova and Alexandrova in the semi-final as well but yeah, I think they're both very solid, very, very solid players. Mertens, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced, you know, she'll get to the semi-finals. Um, I still think there's still a bit of a a gap between, you know, her and the sort of real contenders. I put a, a maybe in that sort of Carolina Pliskova camp of very good on her day, can cause an upset. Whether she can do it across the whole tournament uh, is probably still, you know, uh, a question for her. But certainly she's, uh, you know, done herself well by, uh, you know, winning the the Gibson Trophy. Yeah, I also liked her jump with the trophy, which we've seen her do with, with Sabalenka, <laughs> who is her doubles partner. Um, and she she went for it today with her singles trophy, which was nice as well. And just a note on Kanepi, she's 35 now. I didn't realise that. But she uh, so she was the oldest player in, in that draw. And she's she's got four WTA titles to her name and six Grand Slam quarterfinals, which I think I'd, I'd also overlooked. So, you know, she, on her day, like you said, she's... She is capable of pulling off, pulling off a big a big win. So we'll perhaps be looking to see what she can do over the next few weeks as well. And it was interesting as well that I guess Alexandra, she'd had that big win over Halep. She'd beat, beaten Svantec as well. That she kind of yeah fell by the wayside to to Canepi in that uh, semi final, but perhaps also you know in good form for next week. Uh, just a note on the doubles for that event. We had the uh, top seeded Czech. Uh, Krajicikova and Sinyakova winning that event over the Chan sisters 6376 so are they going to be the favourites for the Australian Open aren't they along with I suppose Babosh and Mladenovic and mm. I guess the the Japanese duo um, Shibuhara and Ayama as well um, but let, let's talk about the Grampian Trophy Joel because this was the, the third WTA event obviously this was the one for the players in hard quarantine and it had a slightly different ending to the other two events because no final was played. And yeah, it was decided that whoever won the, the two semifinals, they would just share the trophy. They would share the ranking points and prize money for the runner up. So they would both get kind of runner up money and points. And there's a picture of both Annette Contevate and Anne Lee kind of holding the trophy together which is quite sweet, but I'm sure that both of them would rather have played the final, especially for someone like Anne Lee, who is at this stage for the first time in her career, is an up-and-coming player and would probably have wanted to have gone for the title, I'm sure. But that that presentation ceremony picture is hilarious. I recommend listeners just look it out because, yeah, they're literally like like trying to vie for it, almost like a tug of war, um, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I think it was a bit sad. I, you know, I think it was at the end of the day, I think it was, you know, it's a smart move considering, of course, the Australian Open starts tomorrow. Um, but it's sad in the sense that, you know, we are fans that, you know, we w- would have loved to have seen that final. And I think from a player point of view, as you said, I think with, with players in the final, particularly who you probably won't expect to get to the, the second week. And, you know, for them, it's more about, you know, how many trophies can I, a mass in my career. Um, yeah, it's just a bit of a shame, really, you know, particularly for someone like Anne Lee, who came really, you know, unseeded, out of nowhere, um, you know, from that bottom half, defeated Jennifer Brady uh, in the semi finals in a real, really kind of tight, competitive affair. She would have wanted, I'm sure, to kind of 
just kind of go to that final and be like, you know, put a, you know, rubber stamp, you know, rubber stamp it, hopefully, because, you know, that's a that's a great story that's just kind of come out of nowhere, really. I know. Um, I, I remember seeing her play, I think, at the Surbiton Challenger like five years ago when I think she was about 16, 15. And yeah, it's nice to see her now kind of at this stage of her career kind of burgeoning onto the WTA tour. And yeah, she was, um, yeah, she beat, obviously, obviously these semifinals, they had a, a match tie break, uh, but she came through 10-6 in the match tie break against Brady who um, is also from Pennsylvania. So they are not just compatriots, but also both from Pennsylvania. Um, and we saw Contivate came come through against Sakari. She saved two match points in that one, uh, came through 11-9 in the match tie break. So some, at least some, you know, competitive semifinals. I'm sure that they're both quite pleased, you know, to still get to this stage. But I've just, I just feel like, especially for Anne Lee, you know, it would be nice for her to, to see how, you know, if she could have got that trophy. But I, I did Google Anne Lee because I, I have to say, I, although I had seen her, I think at that Challenger, I, I, um, I don't really know much about her. But apparently, she's quite a fan of hot chocolate. So I'm, I'm a fan of her, if so. And uh, we, we forget perhaps, but she came to Melbourne last year, 2020, uh, ranked 142 in the world. She qualified for her first slam, uh, beat Anna Bogdan in the, fu- in the first, um, oh no, sorry, she beat Anna Bogdan in the final round of qualities, but she ended up losing to Kenin, I think, in the second round of the AO. So she did lose to the champion, you know, eventual champion last year. And then at the US Open last year, she, um, I think she got to the, the third round. Is that right? Yeah. So she's, she's, she has made some strides into the, into the tour, but it's obviously bypassed both of us. So uh, perhaps this doesn't come as a complete surprise. She's just inside the top 100. So definitely perhaps a name to look out for. Um, and I, I think she, she was saying in her, in her quarantine period, um, she was, you know, had a good schedule going. She was quite relaxed. She was obviously just grateful to kind of have all the stuff provided by Tennis Australia. So I think she had quite a good perspective on it compared to some of the other players. Um, and she's quite into music. She says she's learning to play the guitar. She was listening to music quite loudly in her room as well. It just reminded me of Iga Svantec, who was coming onto court at Roland Garros, you know, playing like Guns and Roses. And I was thinking, oh, maybe she's onto something. Maybe she's going to use music in the a productive way try and keep all our opponents up at night i'm, I'm assuming well, yeah it's, exactly it's just blast like heavy metal <laughs> through the walls and uh <laughs> yeah i don't know but yeah sure we'll have to see what she does um next week let's move on to talking about tennis next week no we're not going to talk about the australian open if you want to digest all of what's going on there you can obviously listen to our draw preview we're actually going to be talking about the biella challenger in italy Andy Murray is going to be there as the top seed on a wild card. We have had the draw announced. So Murray uh, does know his opponent in the first round. It will be German Maximilian Martyr. Kim, when we kind of spoke about this uh, potential draw a few, I think a few weeks ago, um, we were kind of excited because the, I think the draw list was quite loaded. I think we we're kind of saying like Lucas Pui might be there, Massetti, um, you know, sort of very kind of interesting players. But that really hasn't seemed to kind of uh, materialise. And the draw actually, it looks quite a kind one. Doesn't really look like there's a lot of a lot of danger there, even for a Murray kind of returning. Uh, you know, from a you know from a hip injury, from you know from whatever injury he's had from coronavirus, um, it, it looks like quite a kind draw for him. It does. I I would be surprised if he doesn't win the challenger. I have to say, perhaps Martyr is is his toughest opponent in the first round. I think after that, I can't really see anyone challenging him. I mean, the final. Well, the final could well be against your favourite, Joel Malik Jaziri, who's in the bottom half. Who he is not the top, the top seeded in that bottom half, but he's not even seeded, Kim. So, oh yeah, he's not even seeded. Is he really that lowly ranked now? Oh gosh, I still feel like Malik Jaziri has more behind him than Federico Gayo, who is the second seed. But yeah, I feel like Andy's got this. Surely. I'm sure he breathed a sigh of relief when uh, he saw the draw and, and Yaziri was in the bottom half, though. Um, <laughs> but but perhaps more interestingly, um, he came out uh, with some comments pre, uh, I think, doing some interviews in, in Italy about kind of the situation he is in. And it does sound like he's still he's still very kind of gutted and disappointed not to be in Australia. Um, you know, <laughs> I do wonder whether he's going to be stepping out onto a court in Italy 
and all he's going to be thinking about is the fact that there's tennis going on in, in the Australian Open because um, in his words, he was kind of pissed off that um, he is not in Australia. And, and the reason for that, interestingly, you know, we talked about kind of him, him testing positive. Now, he's kind of come out and elaborated on, on how that sort of came about. And he essentially kind of said that he thinks it happened at the National Tennis Centre in the UK, in Roehampton, I think where he must have been practising. And he basically felt that, you know, no matter how sort of, um, no matter how sort of strict or um, safe I am, if the protocols aren't in place, aren't good enough, if they're too lax, then, you know, I I effectively am going to get it. And I think that's the situation we find ourselves in because he has not had very good words to say about the National Tennis Centre and where he was practising, essentially saying over Christmas, it felt like they kind of lost control a bit. They got a bit lax. And as a result of that, they let the virus, um, they let the virus sort of um, manifest itself. I think Paul Jubb tested positive and then, uh, yeah, it just sort of had a domino effect. And a few days later, Andy Murray tested positive as well. Yeah, because he was saying that he hadn't been anywhere else except for his house or the NTC, you know, a bar kind of going for a walk around the block with his dogs or kids. And he, <laughs> I like the fact that he said he's got an electric car, so he didn't have to go to any petrol stations either. So he's also being very careful. And you would hope that, you know, he'd have, you as a player, you'd have faith, wouldn't you, in the NTC? It's the same as someone having to still go to a physical workplace. You have faith that they're doing all they can to protect you and all that those measures are in place. And I think it sounds like over Christmas, like they were just slacked off. And perhaps there were a lot of people be- using the NTC who perhaps shouldn't have been. I think Dan Evans kind of backed up what, what Andy was saying and saying that a lot of people just maybe going there to get out the house essentially. And they weren't really there to prepare for tournaments and kind of really seriously focusing. They should, you know, so yeah, it, it's, it's annoying. And if so, obviously, British tennis have kind of shot themselves in the foot with, with that because obviously the end result is that they're, you know, most famous and most successful players are not able to play the first Grand Slam of the year. So, yeah, it sucks. But um, I, I'm glad he's come out and said that because hopefully it means that they'll take a hard look at themselves and think, right, well, let's get back on it and make sure it's as COVID secure as possible. Yeah, it's, it's definitely frustrating. But as you said, interesting that Dan Evans backed up Murray's comments um and yeah it's like no matter how safe you can be if the you know if the place you are training at or the building that you are in doesn't have the right uh rules or system in place it doesn't matter how safe I am I could still potentially get it and that unfortunately was sounds like the situation that kind of is the backdrop to um you know Murray's uh COVID positive test um a few weeks ago um so anyway, let's see, let's see how he does in the Biela Challenger. As I said, I think, Kim, we're thinking, I mean, obviously I'm a Murray fan, so I'm ex- fully expecting him to go through all the way. I know this is going to be a tournament that I think is going to be more, we're looking at kind of his general movement and his sort of general, um, you know, general sort of, yeah, just general movement on the court. But um, it doesn't feel like there's too, it's too loaded, really. Um, he should be able to kind of, come through it yeah exactly no I think I think he's on on for a, a good week and actually interesting Martyr I think we saw him play at the Australian Open against Vadasco yeah it was a late <laughs> night match wasn't it? it went to five sets and Vadasco was getting really worked up like he was yeah. I think Martyr won in the end and I mm. remember Vadasco getting yeah all annoyed on the court but uh, yeah I think that's the only time I've actually seen Martyr play I think it was like round two or round three mm. and it was a late night outside ground pass court and yeah. Oh, it was, oh yeah it was such a good atmosphere i remember that very well <laughs> um i'm glad you remembered it as well but um yeah let's kind of move on now to our collector set and our collector set predictions we announced our six picks for collector set um in our australian open draw preview episode so for our listeners who haven't uh, listened to that episode yet our six picks were Onsjabor, Iga Sviontek, Ash Barty, Alex de Menor, Dominic Team, and Yannick Sinner. So those were our six picks, and we've asked our listeners, we've asked our listeners to tell us, looking at the draw, 
um, or you don't have to look at the draw, but telling us where they think all those players will end up. And if you think they will end up in the final, do you think they are going to win the tournament? And uh, we have gone away, Kim, haven't we, to figure out where we have, where the, where these players are going to get in terms of our own opinion. We have, and uh, we've come to our own conclusions, uh, separate to each other. <laughs> so are, are we going to quickly run through them? Yeah. Shall we? Okay. So, okay, for Onjibor, I've got her third round losing to Osaka. I mean, just a note, listeners, you don't have to say who they're going to lose to, but this is kind of our justification for why we've <laughs> given them the round that we've given them. I think she's going to get to the third round for Onjibor. Looking at her draw... I'm in agreement with you on this one, Kim. I've got Onzibor round three, losing to Osaka. Okay, Iga Sviontek. I've gone rogue. I've gone second round. I think she's going to come unstuck against Camilla Georgie. Ooh, and okay. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I know Iga Sviontek is, you know, she works with a sports psychologist and she's very mentally kind of with it. But I just, I don't see her replicating what she did at the French. I just feel like she's going to come a cropper. Early Interesting. On. <laughs> I, I I don't believe you there. Georgie's just going to serve a million double faults, and Shiontek's going to come through <laughs> that serenely. Um, I've I she's going to come through that serenely, and then for me, lose in round three to Rybakina. I know Rybakina uh, has started well. Um, she, I think she loves playing on a, an Australian. Sorry, she loves playing on a hard court at the start of the season. Um, so I've I think Rybakina is going to beat Shiontek in round three. Mm. Okay. And Ash Barty, what have you got for her? I, I'm sticking with my prediction that I made in the last episode that she's going to get to the final and be the runner up losing to possibly Osaka. Okay. Uh, I don't see her getting to the final. I have got her in the semi-final, either losing to Azarenka, Brady or Sakari. I just think, yeah, I, there's just something in me that thinks, I don't think she's going to win the Yarra Valley and then go and win uh, the, I don't think she'll win the lead up and then the Grand Slam. I'll be very, very impressed if she does that. I feel like potentially Azarenka or Brady could be there and give her, yeah, give her a really real run for her money. I love that phrase, run for her, run for her money. (laughs) Um, Okay. So for the men's side, Alex de Menor, I have put him as Going out in the second round, which perhaps sounds quite harsh, but I feel like he's going to lose to possibly Pablo Cuevas or Andrea Seppi in like an epic five set match in the second round. Yeah, I just, I've just felt like I just, I, I just don't, oh, I just couldn't. And also, I feel like a lot of people are going to put him like in the fourth round or something. And I think I've got to do something different to the other players so <laughs> strategy i you know i was kind of debating this because i i genuinely could see him going out in the first round to tennis sangrin um i don't think that's a very easy uh opener for him but i do i do have him coming through that but i've got another funny feeling he's gonna lose in round three to fabio fognini i know that sounds <laughs> quite quite rogue um but i think fognini's been in good form uh bar the the final in the atp cup i think generally speaking though his singles singles wise he's looked quite good uh playing for italy so i'm going alex de Menor round three fantastic okay a dominic team i've put as a semi-finalist losing to mr djokovic as per <laughs> what about you joe i think you might be on the same wavelength here I, I can't even say. I don't think I've got much more to say about that. I just think, yeah, Dominic team will get to semi-finals. It'll be a repeat of last year's final, and I think it'll be the re- a repeat result as well. I keep thinking about what you said about Novak. That you see no reason not to think that he's no reason to suggest that he wouldn't win. And I, I think I just can't can't go past that. Um, okay, and last but not least, Yannick Sinner. Uh, I've gone first round, which I hope I'm wrong on this one, but I just feel like having played all week and looking quite tired, I think at the end of today, well, yeah, last night's uh, final, I think that Sinner's not going to have enough in the tank for a Shapovalov first round. So I'm going to say, yeah, he's going to lose that one, sadly. Yeah, the schedule's not been kind to him because he's obviously played this match on Sunday and I think he's in day one action as well. Um, so yeah, he's going to need to do a quick turnaround and I am 
sort of agreeing with you because I'm I'm going Yannickson a round one losing to Shapovalov uh, on that basis. But also I think Shapovalov, even though he's he lost, um, you know, to uh, Djokovic and I think Zverev uh, in the ATP cut, he looked, I think, quite good and, and gave them a run for their money as well, Kim. So uh, I'm going <laughs> um, I'm going Yannickson a round one. Fantastic. So listeners, let us know your predictions. Uh, we would like them in ideally before the start of play. Uh, so you've got kind of a couple of hours, I suppose, if you're listening to this uh, kind of today, whilst we're recording it, Sunday the 7th of Feb. Otherwise, you're a bit late, uh, I'm afraid, but you'll have to play for our next one if if not. Um, so just tweet us or, you know, email us, passingshotpod at gmail.com or Instagram us, Facebook us. Let us know however you'd like to tell your friends and family as well if they want to take part and they don't have a twitter account you can send us their predictions uh, on their behalf as well the more the merrier and as we said you'll win a fantastic passing shot mug and maybe some tea bags to have a nice brew with uh but let's look ahead joel we've got the day one schedule for the ao and we've got some yeah exciting matches obviously we've got the shapovalov sinner match which is fortunately a night match uh i think that's the least they could do for yannick sinner to give him a night match after his exploits this week uh but also i guess on notable notable matches we've got opening rounds for osaka serena Team Halep and Djokovic, they're all going to be on Rod Laver. And then uh, MCA got Venus opening up against Flipkins. Got Kerber, Zverev, Kvitova. And then we've got the Shapovalov Sinner match as the night match. John Kane Arena. Now, I was like, what is the John Kane Arena? But that is High Sense, which then became the Melbourne Arena and is now John Kane Arena, I think. Right, got it, got it. And I, I was like, who is John Kane? But I think he was a politician in Victoria who I think was quite instrumental I believe for keeping the Australian Open in Melbourne back in the day so they've obviously I think he passed away good history lesson so they've renamed it but yeah any Aussie listeners let me know if I'm completely wrong there uh but yeah on the John Kane arena we've got Stan the man uh we've got Tom Janovic obviously Aussie, Aussie hope there and then Andreescu is uh is gonna it's gonna be out on that one and Kyrgios as well in the night match classic Kyrgios on that arena <laughs> Kim if, if you were there and, and you could have a ticket mm. to any any one of those courts uh, which one would it be I'm 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 actually leaning towards um, I am I am leaning towards the John Kane arena because I am really intrigued to see how Andrescu gets on against Bujanescu who can be quite tricky I think sometimes um, you know she's she's definitely had a you know a run in her at a grandstand but obviously we know Andrescu as a, a Grand Slam champion, it's injuries, withdrawals. I don't, just don't know how that's going to go. Um, so I'm really intrigued by that one. And obviously Nick Kyrgios as well um, in the opening round. I think that always provides some entertainment. So for me, I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards there. Where are you, where are you looking? Uh, Rod Laver for the day, MCA for the night for me. Uh, but I, I haven't looked actually, I'm not going to lie, I haven't looked at kind of, the latter courts. Uh, so they're, they're, they're usually there would be some random rogue <laughs> match that I would probably go and watch. On Zubor uh, <laughs> versus Andrea Petkovic, maybe? Well, well, yeah, exactly. So there's always a whole load of, of people on the schedule to to watch. But um, actually, Bernarda Perra, Angelique Kerber, Perra could win that one. I mean, yeah, I know I yeah. say Kerber mm-hmm. on her day could go and win the title, but I feel like that's that's could be on for a bit of a dramatic match. But yeah, I think we've got some great matches coming up. Uh I'm going to try and follow as much as I can whilst I'm, you know, working from home and kind of fitting in all the usual stuff that life brings up. But yeah, at least it's great that it's finally upon us, upon us and it's actually happening, you know, after kind of the sort of drama early in the week. So we'll be back, I think, on Tuesday for our round by round catch up. We'll be looking back at all the action from the first round and then we'll be going round by round after that so roughly kind of every two days uh so hopefully you can all join us for that uh, i know obviously because of the time difference we'll be doing it in our evening so we are aware obviously that it will be a bit of a delay i suppose if anyone is listening to us from australia you know i'm afraid we we aren't going to be able to get up at like 2 a.m our time to record uh, I just don't think that's possible. Yeah, we do have uh, we do have full time jobs as well. So yeah, we will be recording in our evenings. And if you want to make sure that you stay up to date 
on all the tennis in the Australian Open uh, to hit that subscribe button for the passing shot on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, hit the subscribe button for the passing shot to stay up to date on the tennis world. And if you are enjoying the show and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment as well. It would really help the show. Yeah, we've had some really nice ratings lately. So thank you uh, to those listeners who have taken the time to do that. And uh, you can also follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So if you're not already following us, give us a follow and you can keep up to date with all the uh, news and goings on. And you can also email us passingshotpod at gmail.com. And as Kim said, we will probably be back on Tuesday evening to start our round by round coverage of the Australian Open with our round one catch-up. Uh, we will be looking to publish that on Tuesday evening, UK time. So uh, watch out for that one. I'm already kind of excited for it. I wonder if we're going to have some big shocks before then. Who knows? Kim, I you know, I always go back to the point. I love waking up in the morning and just going on or the Australian Open app and just going through all the scores. It, I genuinely feel like it's Christmas Day every day for like the next two weeks. I'm also glad we have the AO app because I've been struggling a bit with the tennis app. It's it's not as quick to load. I don't know if it's just my phone. It's getting on a bit, but I'm I'm glad we got the AO app actually. So anyway, yeah, hopefully you can all join us for that. And uh, until then, we will see you soon. Enjoy the first round of the Aussie Open and take care and we'll see you again soon. Okay, Joel. So John Humphreys, the host of Mastermind, has decided recently that he's stepping down. So I'm going to practice my um, my replacement of him by giving okay. you the questions from the Wimbledon Men's Singles Championships. Russia. 1968 to the present day. So this is quite tough. Any listeners who have stayed with us for this addendum... Um, I don't know if you watched the show, if you watch Mastermind, but I did not do very well on these questions. They are pretty hard, if I may say so myself. So are, are you ready? That doesn't fill me with confidence. <laughs> I mean... Oh, but yeah, well, we'll see. I think some of them are very niche, but okay, right. Are you ready? Yeah. Number one. In 2017, who became the first male player since Bjorn Borg in 1977 to win the men's singles tournament without dropping a set? Uh, you twenty seventeen. Um, come on, I need an answer. Roger Federer. Roger Federer. <laughs> yes, well done. Oh. I said Djokovic for that, so I got that one wrong. Anyway, number two. In the late nineteen nineties, the spectators' picnic terraces in Orangi Park became known by a nickname because of the popularity of a British player who contested four semi-finals in the men's singles tournament. What nickname? Henman Hill. Correct. Don't worry, they do get harder. Uh, the 2019 final between Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer was the first one to be decided by a fifth set tiebreak. Djokovic won the final set 13-12 after he won the tiebreak by what score? Um, 7-4. Oh, no, 7-3. Uh, that's, that's very niche, isn't it, that one? Uh, number four. After the 1995 final, the losing player said that centre court used to be my backyard. Now it belongs to Pete. A reference to Pete Sampras, who just won the title for the third consecutive year. Who was the losing finalist? Grass court player, early 90s. I've got no idea. Um, uh, Mats Philander. <laughs> no, Boris Becker. Oh, no. I didn't get that either. I think I said Agassi or something. Um, okay. okay, number five. Liverpudlian Barry Cowan unexpectedly took Pete Sampras to five sets in 2001. He said he motivated himself during the breaks by listening to a particular song. What song? I think I know this. Is it You'll Never Walk Alone? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Clue is in the Liverpudlian. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I stupidly didn't get that, even though I, I should have done, really. Um, okay, right. Number six. On his way to winning the 1975 title, Arthur Ashe beat a British player in four sets in the round of 16. What was his name? <laughs> uh, John Lloyd? No, it was Graham Stilwell. Okay, that is really niche. Never but okay. heard of him. Perhaps some of our older listeners will, will know that name. Okay, number seven. The Open Era began in 1968. Which player was seeded number one in that year's men's singles tournament? Um, I'm going to go with an obvious choice. Probably wrong. Is it Rod Laver? It's right. Correct. It is Rod Laver. Well done. During the remarkable 11-hour match between John Isner and Nicholas Mahu in 2010, the courtside scoreboard froze because it couldn't cope with the large number of games. At the time that it froze, each player had won how many games? Oh, that is... That is... (laughs) um... I know. Who knows that, right? Who knows that? Uh, Was was it 22-all? No, it was 47 all, apparently. There we go. Yep. Number nine. The 1973 tournament was won by the Czech player Jan Kodes, but around 80 members of the ATP, including most of the top seeds, had boycotted that year's event in protest at the suspension of the Yugoslavian player by his country's national association. What was the player's name that was suspended? Pass. I've... uh... No, I've got I've got no idea on that. Nikki Pillich. Okay. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> uh, number 10. Jimmy Connors was 21 when he beat Australian veteran Ken Rosewall in straight sets in the 1974 final. How old was Rosewall at the time? 22? No, 39. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be very surprised if you get the last one. Uh, number 11, what is the name of the umpire who was on the receiving end of John McEnroe's notoriously ill-tempered, you-cannot-be-serious tirade during a first-round match against Tom Gullickson in 1981? Um, Carlos Bernardes. <laughs> God, is Carlos Bernardes that old? Wow. Okay, no, no it was some no guy, some guy called Edward James. So oh, there we okay. go. So you got a grand total of four, Joel, which is a lot. That's doubled my score. I have oh, to say, okay. um, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. impressed with that. I, there yeah. were all the others, I definitely would not have got. Um, no, I'd be yeah. Listeners, let us know how you did on that because I'm curious to see if anyone got full marks because that was quite a that was quite a tough set of questions. Really niche. I mean, I know it's mastermind, which is like the epitome of quizzing, but I think that's quite quite a broad subject. So I, I don't think the guy who did it actually did very well either. So uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah very difficult that. But uh, listeners, let us know how you did if you stayed on to listen to this bit and. Uh, Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll see you again soon. I'm sure we'll we'll throw in a few other quizzes uh, during the course of the next few weeks as well for you all to uh, to get your teeth into.